the, the man still has it, even at 56. So like going into any comp world competition like this, it's unlikely that he's going to make a final just because half of the events are, are a weakness for him now because of his age. But he won the wrecking ball hold. If it wasn't for Hooper coming out of absolute nowhere, he would have won the car walk. Like at 56, he is still dominant in several events. Welcome to the Bar Band Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by Barband.com. Today, I'm talking to Barband News Editor Phil Blackman. Phil is covering the 2022 World Strongest Man Contest live on the ground in Sacramento, California. We're recording this podcast on the Friday before the World's Strongest Man final. So while we know the 10 finalists, we don't know exactly how the podium will shake out. Phil gives us insights into the top stories and surprises from this year's competition, including a firsthand look at how weather and event conditions impact the competitors. But before we get to that, I do want to give a shout out to today's episode sponsor, Coulter Dillon. Do you struggle finding a t-shirt that fits you as well as that one tee you loved until it wore out? Do you wish a standard medium was just a little bit longer, or maybe a large wasn't so baggy for you? Then you've got to check out Coulter Dillon. They personalize t-shirt fits for you, and they have tons of color options. You can even personalize artwork on the shirt. These are truly customized, custom cut and sewn t-shirts for your body. They deliver your perfect t-shirt every time. Check out Culture Dylan and check them out in the show notes as well. Now, let's get on to the episode. Phil, I'm always excited to record the Barbin podcast with you, but I'm especially excited today because we are recording. You are live in San in Sacramento. I almost said San Francisco. You are live in Sacramento. You are at the 2022 World's Strongest Man. And just so people know, we're recording this on Friday. It's the day between group qualifying and the finals. So we don't know who's going to be the World's Strongest Man yet this year. But Phil's going to know basically before anyone because he's on the ground. Phil, how are you feeling after a few days of qualifying competition? So there has been three days of qualifying competition so far. We know who the final 10 that have made it uh, to the final. The, the, the amount of drama so far this year has been immense. Between new guys like Mitchell Hooper coming out of actual nowhere, literally his sixth competition, like his sixth major strongman competition, but his first on the world stage and blitzing through his group as though like very, very breezy. The uh, crazy shenanigans that happened during the stone off with a malfunction for Bobby Thompson. There's there's a lot of action here on the ground. Uh, this is the second year that I've been here in Sacramento covering the World's Strongest Man. They're going to be here again for a third year next year. But the the final is shaping up to be actually crazy between like last year, you sort of had an idea of who was going to be at the top of the roster this year. I want to say like seven guys have like legitimate play for the top of the podium, given what I've seen so far in qualifying. That's outstanding. Just to set the context here, you're in old Sacramento. That's how yes. they brand. That's how they brand it. So it's very like, there are a lot of historical elements here, a lot of like old trains and cowboy hats and like from the ranch days that they really try and promote. Uh, and they're trying to make it part of world's strongest man, which is, which is kind of cool, but it's also extraordinarily hot where you are. Tell us about the, tell us about the weather. How's that? Been? So last year in 2021, there were the, like every day 
it was in immense, immense heat, triple degrees. We're talking like they it peaked at like 108 on multiple days. Here for qualifying stage, two of the three days did something similar. On the first day and the second day of qualifying stage, it hit 100 degrees. And these events are outside. Now, they moved the events to be much earlier in the day to try and get some of the crisp, like, you know, 70-degree weather early on for the early events. But the heat still played a major role. So we're on the Capitol Mall here in Sacramento. And one of the areas for the field of play is just an open lawn that gets beat by the sun by the time it hits noon. So the second event on each day actually was a really big factor for the heat. So much so that a bunch of guys actually put up worse times in the deadlift ladder because the floor was too hot. So if if when you uh, watch back later on when uh, World's Strongest Man uh, airs their footage, you'll see some of the guys that were wearing socks during their deadlift on the platform actually had to hop off the platform in between deadlifts because the floor was too hot. That is the world's heaviest game of hot potato. You're seeing these 400-pound men just like the floor is lava, quite literally. Quite actually, yeah. You, you, so a, a bunch of these guys, you saw that they made the choice to like lift in shoes, which they may not have otherwise. Right. And there's other guys that were that normally are very comfortable lifting in socks. Some guys were fine. Like Tom Stolman, he lifted in socks and he was fine. Same thing with his brother, Luke. But guys like uh, Kordiaka, he had to hop off the, the field of play because it was the floor was just too hot for him. It's interesting to me that the Stoltmans always seem to do pretty well with the heat. By the way, the, the Stoltman brothers, the, the strongest siblings maybe in human in human history. They they are one is the current Europe's strongest man, one is the reigning world's strongest man. Correction there, Luke was the 2021 Europe's strongest man. That's right. No, Novikov took it from him oh, this year. But, I, but he finished you know, second. He finished second. It was close. My brain is always a few months behind. My apologies. Yes. So, like, they're they're good. Tom Stoltman, the reigning world's strongest man, is certainly a contender for repeating the title this year. He and his brother Luke, both in the final. They are they're training in Scotland. They're training in like basically the Scottish Highlands. I don't know Scottish geography that well, so my apologies to uh, everyone. If it's not whiskey related, I probably don't know where it's located. But all that to say, like they're not training in this extreme heat year round, but they seem to really kind of excel in this environment. Do you think there are any factors that might come into play there? So one thing that I've noticed about the Stoltman brothers in particular throughout the qualifying stage is how immensely grounded both of them are. Compared to a lot of the rest of the field, they they just seem to be at ease more than anybody else. So much so that even during the events that require a lot of speed or uh, not much time to think because you, time is of the essence, they are still just have the wherewithal to like make sure that everything is in line, everything that they want is exactly how they want it. While they're running the competition, there was one particular moment during the loading race when Tom Stoltman ran. And he's very good in those types of events. He's very fast on his feet, despite being a six foot eight monster. And in, on the first element was a, 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 essentially an atlas stone. They're carrying an atlas stone across the field of play. And he loaded it onto the platform, but he checked to make sure that it was in place before running back to the other one. It was a very, very minor thing to see. but And, and it cost him maybe half a second. But making sure that it was there to prevent any type of mistakes just shows that he has... Uh, uh, an awareness while he's competing that I think you get with experience, but both of these guys, both the Stoltman brothers have been exuding that through every single uh, event so far. I think it's easy to underestimate the mental factor and how smart you have to be in this sport. I kind of liken it to, and I'm curious what you think about this analogy. I, I kind of liken it to offensive linemen, right? They're the biggest guys on the football field. They're the biggest players on the field. They often go, they're often like signing the 
the biggest contracts or among the biggest contracts, and they have to have better field vision than anyone except for maybe the quarterback. But the stereotype is they're just behemoths that push people. No, they have to have fantastic awareness. And I think that in Strongman, there are so many elements to the competition and so many implements you might come up against that you might have only trained them a handful of times over the course of a year, but you have to remember back to those and pick up on those lessons extraordinarily quickly. And it seems to me like the Stoltman brothers are among the best in the game at making those mental adjustments and observing what other competitors are going through. I might put Luke Stoltman as the best at exactly that in the field. What I notice about those guys in particular is they're very good at recognizing that this is a long competition. Mm. This isn't a single day event like most Giants lives events are. This is a Five day, or I mean, they will be competing for five days because they have the rest day, but it's a five day competition. And even though cumulatively, after you do all six, theoretically, you do all six events, like a lot of the guys who'd clinched their group didn't really need to do the wrecking ball hold, but for the or, or, or the stone off, but for the most part, it's like cumulatively, the amount of work that they're actually doing when they're competing is a total of maybe like 10 to 12 minutes at the end of the event, at the end of the competition, because each event they're running for like 45 seconds to a minute and a half at most. So it's not like a bunch of cumulative work, but it still wears you out over the course of six days in triple degree heat. And that plays out where the guys who know how to pace themselves, recognize where their strengths are, understand where they're looking to to finish on the leaderboard compared to who they're playing against, at least in, in qualifying stage, that matters. Like being able to have a strategy like that, as opposed to going for broken every single event, even if it's not your strong suit, Knowing when to pick your spots and really leverage the strategy of the fact that the, the, the event is long is beneficial. That comes from the guys with experience. You talked earlier, and we can get to this in a second, but you talked more in depth in a second. You talked earlier about Mitchell Hooper kind of coming out of, is it Hooper? Is that my saying? Hooper, yeah. He's Hooper, from Canada. Yeah, I want to make... I want to make sure, yeah, hoops. I want to make sure I wasn't saying Hopper because he's so new. I still don't have his name like burnt to my memory. But you mentioned him as someone who kind of came out of nowhere and has really excelled. And you said burned through his qualifying group. I mean, definitely someone who could be this year's world's strongest man. We'll see how the how the cards fall over the course of the weekend. Is there anyone who's on the other end of the spectrum who kind of surprised you with maybe an anemic performance, or they just didn't seem like they were in you know the kind of shape you've seen them before? Yeah, so I'll give a shout out to Mitchell Hooper here first because I don't think anybody had any expectations for him coming in because there was nothing really to go off of. Mm. He's just too young in the sport to really have placed any significant weight on his performance. Right. And I'm I'm uh, a, a finals prediction piece that I've, I'm I'm working on. Oh, come out the same day that we're recording this podcast. And the way that I liken it at the moment is I thought going in because of his inexperience that the world stage, the world's strongest man stage would be too big for him to put up a performance his first go. I'm learning that the world's biggest stage isn't big enough for him. (laughs) That's how good he is. It has been like every single time he's on the floor, whether it's a heavy event or a moving event, he's been extremely impressive. So I expect him to be a mainstay for a long time going forward after this event. So uh, Hooper is definitely a guy to keep your eye on in the final. Uh, He is, I would not be surprised if he hits a podium finish in his first outing. He will definitely be making a run, especially because the events are conducive to his skill set. His skill set in the finals, they're very long. As opposed to guys who haven't done as well, I've been really underwhelmed by uh, Brian Shaw this year. Now that's that's not to say that his his strength or his, his caliber on the field isn't where it's been before. What is clear is that he doesn't seem 
to be as strong in the events that require you to move. A lot of the agility-based events, he's a six foot eight, 400 plus pound, 40 year old. He doesn't have the same foot speed as a lot of these younger guys. And that has been very apparent in a lot of these uh, events like the loading race, the deadlift ladder, the car walk, like the ones where you need fast feet. He's just not on the same level at the moment as like guys like Novikov or Hooper. So in the finals, there's a, there's still a bunch of those events. You have the, the you have the Giants medley. You have the uh, power stairs. There are still a lot of uh, events where you have to move. And I think if Brian Shaw is going to make a play for his fifth title, he's really got to ensure that he comes in first or second in all of the heavy events. I'm talking the deadlift. Um, the uh, Flintstone barbell making its return. He's going to have to excel in those events because I just don't see how he will be able to make up for the speed that's required for stuff like the medley. We'll get back to that in just a second. But first, another shout out to our episode sponsor, Coulter Dillon. These are customized cut and sewn t-shirts to match your favorite existing tees and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. Don't settle for t-shirts that don't fit perfectly. Check out Coulter Dillon and make t-shirt fit a question of the past perfect for athletes or anyone that just wants to look better with each and everywhere Coulter dylan check them out in the show notes now let's get back to the show well, one thing we need to say about Brian Shaw is that Brian Shaw is also an incredibly smart competitor, and he has more experience than, well, I was going to say he has the most experience in the field, but there's there's a guy named Mark Felix who's been the world's strongest man 17 times. Yeah. So, and, and, and Mark Felix, just quick shout out to Mark Felix. Oh, my God. Like, I get that he had no chance. He had no path to the stone off by the time he got to the wrecking ball hold, but... That man at 56, oh my Lord, like, please, everybody go back and watch the car walk event as soon as you can. That man, oh my Lord, he blitzed through the car walk at 56. It was unbelievable. Yeah, Mark, he also set a world record in the wrecking, in the wrecking wrecking ball hold. Um, Mark Felix has been to World's Strongest Man 17 times. And the thing is, He's 56. He those weren't all, not all consecutive years. He had some like off years for injury and different things like that. But he didn't start this sport when he was a young man. Like he didn't start at the elite level when he was a young man. He right? Started at 39 or something, right? He started in his like late 30s, basically yeah. at World's Strongest Man. And again, those haven't been 17 consecutive appearances. He's I, I forget exactly when, but you know he had a couple injuries here and there. The sport takes a beating. But he's we're talking about Brian Shaw maybe being a little slower because he's 40, which for a lot of strength sports is like is over the hill. Oh, my goodness. Mark Felix, I'm totally off topic, is 56 years old and still like competing. He's still good. He didn't make the final, but he's like you have to like keep your eye on him. If you're in his group, he's not a name you like want to see in your group. He has the thing where he has very specific strengths that will throw any group out of whack because he's always going to do very well in very particular events. He has no overhead strength left. Any event that he goes into where you have to put a log over your head or a dumbbell over your head, he doesn't have that anymore. So he didn't put up any reps in the in the in the log lift um, last year during the dumbbell medley or the overhead dumbbell medley. He he never got a lift up there. So it's clear that his weaknesses now are in the overhead strength. But when it comes to grip or um st- or moving uh, still, like whether it's the car walk or a loading medley, the, the man still has it, even at 56. So like going into any comp- world competition like this, it's unlikely that he's going to make a final just because half of the events are, are a weakness for him right, now because of right. his age. But he won the wrecking ball hold. If it wasn't for Hooper coming out of absolute nowhere, he would have won the car walk. Like at 56, he is still dominant in several events. That is, 
it's the feel-good story. It's also just the awesome story because, not to date myself too much, but I grew up watching Mark Felix at World's Strongest Man. I can recall sitting in my living room as a kid watching the Metrics World's Strongest Man, and Mark Felix was there. And he also like wasn't the young guy there. He was like he was, he was like yeah, the, he was still one of the old guys. Yeah, he had like the old man grip strength. And I was a kid then. Like we're not spring chickens anymore, Phil. Not to again, not to get too much into that. But I do want to just revisit one point we made earlier because we're just fanboying over Mark Felix. How can you not, Brian Shaw? You said he has to do very specific things to have a podium shot, right? And I think you're right. Brian Shaw has a lot of experience, and also Brian is someone we've seen in the past really turn on the afterburners in the final. Like he will sometimes do just enough to make the final and not burn out in the group qualifying stage. And then he really does jam his performance up that next level when it comes to the final and leave everything out on the playing field. He's like not going to failure failure in group qualifying if he doesn't have to. So I, I wonder if that's a factor here as well. I think there are a couple of things. Yeah, I think that for the group stage, I think it was really a wake-up call that he wasn't doing as well in the group stage. Now, granted, he says that he doesn't train for the group stage. He, he trains for the events in the final because, I mean, this is his 14th straight World's Strongest Man final. The idea of him going into this event thinking that he wouldn't make the final is probably just not on his radar at this point. He's one of the best ever, and he's he hasn't missed a final in over a decade, uh, nearly a decade and a half. So I think that after... He got a, he got a lucky break against Thompson because he had the initiative and the stone off, meaning he had to lift first in the stone off against Thompson in group two. And Thompson had a tacky malfunction. And so he missed Thompson missed his first stone. And so Brian essentially got a buy through the stone off to get to the final. Now, going into the stone off with the initiative is scary to begin with. Right. His his world's strongest man competition was on the line there. And. Even though he caught a lucky break, I think the rest day will likely be him getting a chance to recalibrate and recognize that he really does need to turn on the Jets in the final because the, I don't think the six events really line all up that well for him to get beyond the expectation of like a fifth or a sixth place finish. So he really has to pick his spots on the Flintstone barbell, the deadlift, like he's really got to pull out the the, the, the points there. Let's talk about that tacky malfunction. That's something that, you know, if you're not engrossed in the sport of strongman throughout the year, like like you are, Phil, or like we are at Barben, you know, people might not know exactly what tacky is. What happened with that tacky malfunction? It might be the most fun thing I've ever said on this podcast. Tacky malfunction. What a weird phrase. Everybody was gasped when this moment happened. So tacky is a, is a is a sticky substance that strongmen will put on their hands and forearms, maybe their shirt as well, to help them grip an atlas stone and lift it over a bar or lift it onto a platform. So, and quick, quick, quick note here: it's a little bit like if people are familiar with baseball pine tar, which yes, it's very similar, which you're not supposed to use in baseball. It's totally fine to use it here. It's not like it's not like they're hiding it and they're not allowed to use it. You're allowed to use tacky. In, in specific competitions that, that allow it, like it's within the rules to use this stuff. And by the way, if you're doing bare skin on an Atlas stone, when you get to these weights, you're in for a bad time. So tacky is both a way to increase your grip, but it's also a way to actually make it a little more predictable and maybe reduce the likelihood of injury. Yes. I, if you're, if you're uh, essentially, if you're bare skinning an Atlas stone, what's likely going to happen is it's going to pull your skin off. Yeah. Right. Like at, at these weights, like the, the, the heaviest stone in the stone off was 440 pounds. Like these guys aren't messing around with these weights. 
So oftentimes you'll see them either put it the tacky directly on their skin, or sometimes they'll also wear like a forearm guard and then put the tacky on the forearm guard. You'll see like um, electrical tape wrapped around forearms. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. a bunch of different methods that each athlete that each athlete has a preference for, but um, all of them use tacky. Nobody's not using that stuff when it comes to the stones. So. Uh, Brian Shaw was the first to lift against Bobby Thompson. Uh, Hooper obviously won their group in immaculate fashion. He went, uh, he won three events, got a second in uh, one event, and then didn't even have to do the wrecking ball hold. Uh, so it was Thompson in second place and Shaw in third place going into the stone off. Shaw lifts the first stone with relative ease. Of course, you're expecting them to go to the sixth stone and then attrition each other out. And Thompson, for somehow right in the first lift, he something is wrong. Like he's not getting a good grip. He can't quite get the stone to move. And something is clearly wrong. And you can hear everybody going 20 seconds, Thompson, you got 20 seconds because everybody's like, what's going on? He needs to lift the stone. Once the whistle is called and he doesn't even budge the first stone. Clearly he was upset. Something was going on. He referenced, he like pointed to his hand. He like referenced his hand, like something was wrong with the tacky, not with something that was going on with him. And I think it was that he couldn't manage to get a good grip and that cost him his shot in the final. And afterwards, like he, he, he stormed off the field of play uh, during uh, Shaw's interview with Eddie Hall after the, after the fact, I could see Thompson on the perimeter of the, the area by himself, just like trying to collect himself after what happened. I don't know the specifics as to what went down, but it was very clearly something wrong with the tacky. And that's what cost him his shot to the final. I wonder, and this is pure speculation on my part. I wonder if it had something to do with the heat, maybe changing the viscosity of the substance. I don't know. So one thing that was noticed, like, so the, at the time of the stone off, it was about 80 degrees outside and they were in group two. So a whole group had already gone, but the setup is also, they have to get a bunch of B roll for the TV cameras. Right. And so the stones do sit out in the field of play in that heat for a while. So I don't know how hot those stones actually get in that time frame, but that is a possibility that the tacky just did not actually get a grip because the stones were hot. We got to give you a heat gun next year so that like you can like lean over the railing and just like take the heat measurements on some of these implements. That, that it is one of those things where like I, I I was very much aware of the the temperature going into each event and group one really had the advantage for the most part when it came yeah. to the heat because they get to go first. So in the morning it's not as hot, whereas you know three hours later group five is going and the heat is increased by twenty degrees and it's just an entirely different competition at that point when you're competing in those circumstances. Let's talk about the the experience on the ground. So you, this is your second year at World Strongest Man. You were there last year as well. Um, things are a little different this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. There was not a fan experience last year. There is one this year. Uh, let's talk about that. What is it like for, for spectators? So the, the spectator region, is it's pretty good. They get to be right next to the field of play, like right along the barriers. It's all outdoors. Uh, for the most part, the like anybody who wanted to like come see the show, they get they get in for free. There's also a VIP section that uh, is in a, on a raised area above the field of play, so you get a little bit of a better view there above the cameras and whatnot. So anybody who wanted to come see it or is interested in come seeing World's Strongest Man is it's pretty good setup for spectators, to be honest. And it's also nice. I mean, for me covering the event, there's also like a, a some separate areas for me that I can stand and still get a nice visual uh, without having to be among the audience because a lot of the time i'm you know i'm writing uh, or covering the art uh, the, an event as it's happening and so while everybody's cheering it's nice to be, have a separate space from that but uh i imagine the fan experience at least standing uh near them is pretty good 
I know that when you, you, you were so diplomatic there, you said, when I'm among the, I know you wanted to say riffraff. I know that that was I, something you wanted you to want say. To know what it is? I, I, I actually wanted to say civilians because I'm so, <laughs> I'm so used to saying like strongman versus civilians, because in my mind, the strongmen are just apps like these, these like larger than life figures. And so when I think of like the strongmen amongst the civilians, you know what I mean? What, what, one thing that is, is also, uh, notice like that I can tell that uh, everybody in the crowd would love to see is even you, when you know how heavy the things that these athletes are lifting are, there isn't really like something for scale. You know, it's like no civilian quote unquote is going and trying to lift the log to really show how immobile these objects actually are. Like they are heavy. It's it's funny, yeah. Like, what, what what could the average person do? You know, how many reps? Zero. Zero. Actual zero. You would not you you would not budge a four hundred and forty pound stone. Yeah, they could do they could do none. The answer is they could do none reps. The answer is zero reps. The the other last thing I want to talk about because I mean this is a half hour podcast, so we could go on for days about everything you've seen and your predictions heading into the weekend. I'm not actually going to ask you to give your predictions now before the finals actually occur because we're gonna have an article on bar bend about that and i don't want either of us to sound stupid because this podcast is going to publish the day after the right, finals yeah. so we're just going to pretend like we're going to keep our predictions to ourselves and pretend like we're, we go three for three we perfectly predict the podium one story i got to talk about is canadian domination hmm. there are is it three canadians in the finals? Three of the 10 finalists are from canada yeah now if you go by population canada not the most populous country in the world. I would call that a disproportionate representation of Canadian strongmen. It's a disproportionate number of Canadian strongmen making the final, and it's crazy that JF Carone isn't one of them. And JF Carone is normally the top Canadian strongman. He had a significant injury, obviously, Arnold, early yeah. at the Arnold earlier this year. He says his career competing in elite-level strongman is probably over, actually, because of that. And so you take off, you take the top Canadian the strongest Canadian off the playing field. And yet there are still three Canadians in the final. What is going on? So whatever they're, whatever they're doing in Canada in their strongman training is paying off, particularly because uh, Maxime Boudreau, he came in third last year in his World Strongest Man debut. He made it back here into the final in spectacular fashion after the stone off. And one thing about Boudreau is I actually think that he could make not only another run for the podium, but he could improve upon his third place finish from last year. One thing in particular about him is he's so muscularly dense. Like that man is a house when you see him walk by. But one thing in particular about his performance is that he is exceptionally good when his back is against the wall. Mm. I think he actually, I, I don't know if it will come with experience, but I find that he doesn't actually perform as well in the early events. It's not until his... It's not until his competition life is on the line that he turns it on. And when he turns it on, he is unstoppable. That man during the, the log ladder, when he was falling behind in the standings, during the log ladder, he power cleaned that log like four times. It was insane. He put up more reps than anybody else in the log ladder. And his 10th rep was a power clean. Yeah, he's not doing the full like squat down. Like He could. He could he, if he, he could, wanted to. He could, but you know, he, he's, he's saving that extra second and just hauling it up. And then same thing in the stone off. He, 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 he competed in the stone off against Cordiaca and Cordiaca put up the performance of his life, right? Like shout out to Cordiaca. By the time Cordiaca was absolutely gassed, 
Boudreaux looked like he had maybe six reps, reps left in the tank. Between reps, he's like hyping up the crowd. Like when he needs to turn it on, he turns it on. So I expect him to have a good run deep in uh, late in the finals. And then for Rayom, Rayom was coming out of nowhere. Gabriel Rayom, uh, he was a Canadian who was just under the radar, slow and consistent all the way through the qualifying stage, didn't put up an event win, but made it to third, upset Ferris in the stone off, and is now in the final. I don't expect him to put up a podium finish, but I do expect him to like be in the mix. I I had a really missed I had a real missed opportunity here when I started this question and I asked you this question. I really could have said, what's that all about? And I yes, didn't. I didn't. really missed that one. I missed that one. And I was ju- I just took a trip to Canada. So it's like ingrained in my memory. Well, um, I, I, I gotta ask, are the Canadian competitors as as friendly as I would stereotype them? Yes. Oh yeah. Maybe even more so, probably. As my, as, as as friendly as you think they are, they are. Um <laughs> I, I and honestly, like it would not shock me. I we're we're, um, we're not calling specific predictions, but it would not shock me if the the majority of the podium was Canadian this year. That that would be a great day for Canada. Great day for Canada. It would, and and therefore the world. Uh, as if you get that reference, you should listen to more Barbend podcast episodes, folks. That's we've come to time on this particular podcast. Phil, where is the best place for people to follow along? I mean, this is publishing after the finals, but there's still more strongman action to come in the sport later this year. Where's the best place for people to follow along with that? Obviously, barben.com. I, 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 I do like I would consider myself a strongman specialist at this point. We do all of the coverage for uh, all of the major strongman competitions and We've been covering every single event for the world's strongest man, plus uh, content in between, uh, including all of the news about like withdrawals, about like random things that happen mid-event that are unpredictable. Uh, if you want to know anything strongman, just uh, hop over to Barbend. Phil, thanks so much for your time. Really excited for you to cover the finals for the second year in a row. Um, you're doing a fantastic job, and I think the strongman community owes you a big, big debt of gratitude because uh, the coverage is better for you. I owe thanks to the strongman community for having me.